another edition of Canada FM. Good morning. <laughs> We're just doing this at like about 10 o'clock in the morning, but I had a horrible night's sleep, so I sound like I've been dragged uh, through a uh, cornfield. And ba- I don't know. Uh, one of the reasons why I woke up in the middle of the night, Brian, was because it felt like someone had jammed a bunch of pepper up my nose. I had a sneezing fit. That's been happening to me a lot lately as well. Uh, so, yeah. That's part of this uh, cocktail of oddness in my voice. But I'm here. I'm ready to talk about Cereal Joe. How about you? Oh, I'm ready. I've been ready. All right, great. Now, you know where I I want to start off with is uh, uh, when did you first hear about Cereal Joe when you were a young man? Probably the same way you did, just on Much Music. Because I think we might have seen an interview, or I think I just saw Skid Row. And uh, I was like, look at these... They're, they're like a year older than us, maybe two, and they're on much music. And I think it gave us hope because yeah. they're like, if those idiots can do it, we can do it. Except we could not do it. Well, I remember, we I, I think it was just like seventh or eighth grade, we were playing golf. And it was with you and Kevin Andrew. And you guys were going off on Serial Joe. And talking about how funny their video for Obsession was, because that's where they fight all those ninjas. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was like, Here, who's Serial Joe? That's a cool name. And Kevin was like, oh, they're, they're like little kids, but they're, they're like little kids doing Green Day. I watched the video. It's more like little kids doing Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. But still, uh, I thought the video was funny, too. And uh, that's where uh, I started uh, getting into Serial Joe. Now... There uh, is not a whole lot of information about Serial Joe on the internet. Yes. I don't know why. Uh, there's that video by Staunch Videos that was kind of interesting. Yeah, the what happened uh, to Serial art- Joe. There's an article written about them from a guy named Pete Hates Music. Uh, and there are Wikipedia pages there, but it's a little bit slim. So we deep dive. I got a little tired of people saying Ted uses uh, Wikipedia as a crutch, so uh, I looked up their drummer, Mr. Daniel Akira Stadnicki, on so on social media, on Instagram. I sent him a message seeing if he'd do an interview, and he was incredibly willing to and accommodating and gracious. And yeah, I interviewed him. I interviewed him yesterday morning. So uh, I'll uh, turn it over to me and Daniel, and we'll go over the history of Serial Joe. Straight from the horse's mouth. That? Hey. And we are recording. So, uh, yeah, again, just thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate <laughs> it. And uh, I got the nervous excitement going through me a little bit. So uh, <laughs> forgive me if I prattle on a little bit. Uh, but uh, how's the last couple months been? How's your summer been? It was, uh, wow, we've been we've been visiting actually back in uh, in Newmarket, where, where the band started from. And uh, visiting my my parents' house with my with my wife and three kids. Oh so uh, they live in a little townhouse. So whenever we come, it's uh, action packed and uh, and really busy. <laughs> but I, you know, what? I've yeah. been following you on Instagram, and I saw that you kept pulling up all those uh, treasures from the old days and posting them on there. What's kind of like the coolest thing that you found from being at your parents' place? Uh, honestly, it's a lot of um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a uh, sentimental dad now so i like i like a lot of like these old old photos and things that i found and stuff where you know before before we were doing much as a band yet and we were just like lots of you know like i found my old 
uh, grad or old grade eight grad photograph when the oh, four cool. of us were just starting. So that's just that Armitage Village Public School where I take my kids now to play. So yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a sappy dad now. So that's when so I cool. people, when I see those old pictures and stuff, that, that's that's what I think is pretty cool. But my parents are borderline hoarders i don't know hey that's good for the nostalgia right <laughs> so they got they have everything and i'm an only child so they have oh, everything wow. times two so um i'm able to find all kinds of stuff so i hope to make a couple more posts before we leave oh, nice for alberta tomorrow nice and uh you know it kind of works out because i guess with the nostalgia front and center it's kind of a good time to take a little trip down memory lane uh how old were you when you first learned the drums I was probably, um, I was, I was late. I was like 12, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. We all just kind of jumped into it when we were in uh, grade seven or something. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, we had a, a great year, Mr. Bandicus at Armitage Village Public School. And uh, he let us practice um, during recess. Oh, great. And so, and so, yeah, the band was actually first a no doubt cover band with some different people. And so our first show was actually playing like a bunch of no doubt songs uh, at a at a, an assembly of, of or something. Wow. OK. All right. So the lineup looked a little bit different back then. I guess uh, Ryan wasn't doing the Gwen Stefani vocals, huh? No, no, he wasn't doing the Gwen Stefani vocals. <laughs> I think a girl named Michelle was the singer. Um, yeah. And nice. so that, that was our first shows. So what kind of stuff were you guys listening to back then when you started uh, Serial Joe? Well, obviously Rage Against the Machine, because yeah. so much of it was was uh, just straight ripoffs of Rage Against the Machine. Um, but I don't know. It was like, I think it depended on everybody. Like, uh, definitely John, the bass player, had like the most diverse interest and stuff. And I think we used to like always tease him because he loved like all he loved. He loved like before I got into the Paul Simon Graceland records. Oh, and, sure. Um, and he was listening to to U2 and he was listening to a bunch of 80s stuff. And, and anyways, I, remember, I just remember him always showing him all these CDs. But we were all too cool to be like, no, it's only the hard new metal stuff right now. <laughs> so it was very it was very much like I think a lot of young people where it's just the stuff that's popular at the time. So sure. Yeah, now I, I've got this memory for much music. I remember seeing you and Ryan on there at one point. Correct me if the Mandela effect is hitting me at all. Did your drum teacher used to be Grant from the Salads? Yes, there That's we right. go. Nice. It's a good guy to learn from. I, I love the Salads. Yeah, and Grant, Grant was awesome. And he was just like uh, Grant and Dave and, and Chuck and all those guys from the Salads were like, uh, just huge, a huge influence on us. We were, we were really young and they were like the cool, cool, hip young guys in town. And they're all serious players. Like, yeah. um, just technically, and they would play these songs, they would play like these 50 song, um, like mashups of things live. They're just like, they're just like monstrous players. Yeah. So when we would see them, uh, it was, it, there was, it was a huge influence on us. So when did Serial Joe become, you know, recess kind of band practice hobby playing no doubt to uh to taking things very seriously and recording an EP? Um well first we had a uh, um a t actually I just found the tape. 
you probably haven't seen the tape. Hold on a second. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on a second. Yeah. Hold on, I just found it. <laughs> it's exciting. So the first thing we did was uh, was a, a cassette. Oh my god. Holy so, cow. Wanted serial Joe crime skateboarding. The original lineup. Um, actually, you know what? Can you hold it up there again? I'm just gonna take a quick picture with my phone just in case my computer did not work. There it is. Oh, great. Perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> so yeah, like um it was like a huge, it was like a huge family affair, really. Like you know, Ryan's mom was 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 the manager and co-wrote a lot of lyrics for years. Really, and w- with Ryan. And, oh wow! Uh, which the band got lots of that was a, that was a constant thing with the, the record label, and we were young too, so it was kind of yeah. kind of young. But like thinking back and seeing all like these old photos and stuff, it was like a huge family thing. Like I I found because my parents have everything. My 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 mother Diane. And uh, Debbie, the Ryan's mother, the manager, they were they were like sending out translations of our EPK and our bio to like Japan and Germany. So I found like these weird bios for the band in Japanese. I'm like, what the hell is this? My mom's like, oh, we were just sending, we were sending your stuff everywhere. And and so, and that was like really early on. And I found like the original, you know, letter that we wrote with our little. 13 year old signatures on it saying like, we have this demo, please listen to it. Like to radio stations, I guess. But it was all, it was all like being sent out by our parents, by our moms essentially. And so when we were doing, I you know, I assume like it was like, okay, we're, let's make a, let's make a recording and our, our families chipped in and we did it. But then it was really, um, and we were barely, barely playing gigs. There wasn't a lot of places to play in Newmarket, but what I applied and got a grant when, when much music was an actual music channel and offered funding. Um, we got video fact grants and all of these grants to make music videos. And we made, we eventually made an EP after this and um, with a, a, a guy, Mike Kerwin in Newmarket. And uh, yeah, but it was because it was because of this grant to make a music video back when music videos cost like tens of thousands of dollars. And, um, my cousin, Warren, uh, Warren's now the director who's now the president of the directors guild of Canada. Wow. Really well-known, um, film director. He worked with like trailer park boys and everything. He was, he was making music videos. And so he made the music video with us, with this grant, um, the, you know, the skid row in the skate park and everything. And then, uh, that I feel like that was a launching point. So not, so it was like all of our, like so much of our family was involved in promoting us and helping us and, uh, and working even the music and stuff. And then, um, my cousin directed it, uh, directed the videos, but that was, I think that was sort of the launching point. That's why it seemed so immediate. And we had to like, have to learn, we had to learn how to play our instruments a little bit more. <laughs> all of a sudden it was like, Oh, okay. Well, you guys learned quick. That was one of the things that impressed me about the kickdown was how proficient you guys were. Like uh, you talked about John Davidson earlier. 
some of those bass licks are really cool. <laughs> yeah. And, like, <laughs> and we were, we were all, we were all like self-taught, like new. Wow. And, but you know, in the studio, it was different. And then when we were play on stage, like I went up constantly and everything, all of the typical things that you do. Um, and it was just a lot of like screwing up and making mistakes and, 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 you know, and learning from that. That was like, seriously, how that was seriously how we had to learn because all of a sudden you were expected to sound like you're recording. And we were all, that was the first time we recorded to click track and all that stuff. And we were like 12 or whatever, 13. And so, so yeah, so that there was, there was a, a, a pretty steep learning curve. Um, and that we were, you know, the expectations were, were higher all of a sudden. And so, uh, so yeah, we had to sort of figure that out. Walk me through the moment when you first saw the video for Skid Row on Much Music. How cool was that? Oh, it was the best because like, like, you know, it's unrecognizable to me. And I like, I still, I try, my kids are under 10. So like, I try to tell them what, what things are like about much music. Cause we don't have cable at home, but my parents have cable here. So they're like, yeah. what music? And they're, and you know, it's all of like rub deer deck ridiculousness. And yeah. Yeah. A lot of the reality based stuff now. Yeah. But, but like when I, when I was a kid, like all of my favorite bands were Canadian bands. All I wanted to listen to, and it just turned, I didn't think of it that way, obviously, but like all of the bands were, were Canadian. They were rock bands, they were hip hop. It was like, and it was because of much music. It was, you know, I don't know, you know, I know everybody like loves the accessibility of all the different types of music, but it, I found it was to be so local. So, yeah. so like, I don't know, a lot of us, uh, you know, you would see the music videos. It's like, oh, that's, that's Toronto or like, oh, that video. Oh, that's you know like you would always you would see yourself in that stuff and so when we saw our video on much music it was just kind of like you know it couldn't be any it couldn't be any better because it just seemed like you know i would like daydream that i would go dancing at uh what was that electric, electric circus, circus. Yeah, yeah yeah we would go to electric yeah like one day i'll just like get the nerve and like dance with my friends at electric circus and whatever on queen street and uh and all this stuff but it was just such a, yeah, it felt like, oh, now, now it's this, now Canada is going to see it. So it was a huge, it was a huge deal for, for me. For you, know, you, you talked about how all your favorite bands growing up were Canadian bands and you guys got much, gave you a, a huge amount of love. You guys were at the uh, MMVAs every year. You did Edge Fest all the time. Was there one artist in particular, because our show is about Canadian artists, Canadian artists in particular, who you met going, holy, this is We've made it. Here he is right in front of us or she or whoever. Well, as far as Canadian groups, um, oh man. Well, there, there are a few, there are a few instances. There was like the moment where I, where I realized that we were, we were not very good musicians yet. I think we were playing a gig and, uh, and we were on the same bill as Kitty. Yeah. Okay. That's something. And I think I met and, and like, and they were like way better musicians than us. <laughs> and they were also like, like super cool and like intimidating because I was an awkward teenager. And so these girls are just like kicking ass. And I just remember that. I remember that being like, wow, okay. Their drummer Mercedes. I was like, I, I don't understand what, I don't, know, I, don't know how you can, I don't know how you can play like that. So that, that was a memorable moment. I think we played at Call the Office in London or something. Um, and uh, Matthew Goodband, 
I was a big fan of their drummer at the time and we would see, we would, and the guitarist was really nice. That was sort of the thing was that it was often like this thing because we were the young band. So mm-hmm. sometimes there were bands that would kind of not like mentor us, like rock musicians don't really, really know how to mentor people. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's either, you know, like, so, so it's, so they're, you know, just being very, very kind and very, uh, and want to like, include us in things maybe some things that aren't like super appropriate when you're 13 or whatever but also like just just want to like you to feel like you're part of part of their uh you know group or whatever i remember playing like ping pong with the guys in matthew good band during uh edge fest we were huge fans of big wreck and i think ian is the only canadian yeah yeah at least at the time i don't know about now Yeah, I don't, I'm not. I'm not so sure either. But, but like huge fans of Big Big Wreck, and so and and I loved uh, the the drummer Gerald, and who had like the first vintage pieces of. I didn't realize that it was like cool to play like old beat up looking drums. That <laughs> was the coolest and um, greatest sounding kit that, at at Edge Fest. Um, but I don't know. It was just like lots of things. It was we were. Like the basses from Gob, I think was was part. Like we met him many many times. Um, uh, a, a singer from Triple Charger. Oh, Greg Nori. Yeah, Greg Nori. It yeah. was like always there was there was a lot of these, and like Biff Naked. We we played with like a band that that Biff was uh, promoting at the time. Oh, I can't remember what. Live on release. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. You go. And so I just and like. And, you know, I think we did something with like Chuck Claire for some event and stuff. I just felt like we were always doing, you know, all those different genres. But but like because we were Canadian and maybe that's just how the Canadian music scene was then. It just seemed like we were we fit and were being put in these scenarios where like you're interacting with 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 like a lot of the Canadian scene across genres. So. Um, but we were the young, we were the young guys. So I feel like that, that worked in our favor that, uh, it was just sort of like, Oh, like, you know, they were, they were nice to these kids type of thing. So, so we'll flash forward a little bit here to 1999 and you guys record face down with Dave rave Oglavy of skinny puppy and one of the architects behind antichrist superstar by Marilyn Manson. What was it like working with him? It was like, um, well, I think that was the first time we, we recorded in a, you know, like a really big and, you know, storied, uh, recording studio at Metalworks and, um, and we were there and there was like a huge budget from the, from the label and stuff. So it just felt like just this enormous epic undertaking. And then working with Dave was really easy because it was, you know, (laughs) <laughs> I felt like Face Down is a record made by 16-year-olds and like pretty much un- undirected. <laughs> I feel like the choices that were made, like now that because I continue to make music, I've made many, 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 many records since and I've worked with many different producers. I can't remember what the production direction was <laughs> other than like, this is a cool guitar sound. Like we didn't change arrangements. Like we didn't do things that, that you do. Uh, We didn't do like a pre-production thing um, where we were, we were making big major changes. So it was cool to work with him. And he had all these great, I remember, I think he's told me that like, 
he got like a BMW after working with Marilyn Manson's record or something. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And that's kind of what I remember. (laughs) I think in hindsight, I think in hindsight, I'm more proud about that record because I feel like it, it, it actually is a bunch of 16 year old self-taught musicians that were given way too much money to make a record with a really expensive producer. And we kind of just like, I feel like we kind of just like made the decisions ourselves. So I don't know how many records are made like that, nor would I recommend that to ever happen again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, looking at, uh, I think my favorite song off of that is deep. And I was looking at the liner notes and there it is. Serial Joe slash D stat Nikki. Was that, that was your baby. Um, I wrote a lot of, I don't know. I wrote a lot of lyrics, but I was never at the time confident enough to sing or anything. So I just wrote like tons and tons of lyrics to things. And, uh, and then I would give it to Ryan and then he would add and edit it and change it. Maybe take like only one little bit and add it to something else. And it was just a very, yeah, it was almost just like poems and me probably, probably I was listening to like, you know, Wu-Tang or, out of Wu-Tang Clan, Raging the Machine, and I would just be like writing lines that were while listening to other stuff. And, um, and yeah, so, so as far, yeah, as far as the baseline and stuff, I feel like, I feel like John probably did the baseline okay. or something. Anyway, I like, it was pretty, it was pretty collaborative and, um, and yeah. <laughs> when did you guys know that mistake was going to be the game changer? That that was just a, a, a hit in the making. When did you figure that out? I guess um, I enjoyed it. And I think the, the referent for it was because we loved all of this, you know, rock rap stuff, new metal stuff. But we also had like huge, we were huge fans of, you know, like Weezer. Oh, yeah. Um and more of the, more of the grunge sort of and like the Pixies stuff like that. Um, so I think it was it was kind of fun for for those reasons too. But then I think everybody, it was the reactions from a lot of industry folks and stuff. And it was a bit bit of a had like you know obviously the, the chorus was like the biggest earworm kind of chorus. But I think it was the the excitement because we were, we were you know progressively playing like Canadian Music Week, North by Northeast, and stuff like this, and um, uh, yeah, I felt I felt like industry folks were were getting excited about that song. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, but like you know we had all of those other music videos and things that were more the other other side of what the the band sounded like. So it did it did something was progressing in towards that direction but but yeah we were big grunge fans as well as kind of rock rap fans so i think that's what mistake sort of lent towards so mistake comes out obviously it's a big hit kind of changes the game for you guys and like you said your mom and uh, ryan's mom were sending out uh, bios across the world where's (laughs) like the weirdest place maybe that you got fan mail or the weirdest place that serial joe has a huge following um I'm not so sure internationally. Like it wasn't like, again, I feel like fan was such uh, it it is and was like such a Canadian microcosm thing. And um, 
So internationally, I think that there were some, uh, I think we, we would get some mail from Japan a couple of times. Um, but doesn't everybody, every band get mail from Japan? Yeah, some, I think everyone's been to Japan. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, it turns out from Japan, like, you know, 10 people like your record or something. <laughs> so it's just bound to happen. Um, but uh, maybe, maybe, not, maybe the weirdest place, but just sort of, like specifically there were, there were like specific places that the band was popular. And like one of them was like where my family's from in Hamilton. Oh yeah. I'm from Hamilton. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. so, so I feel like Hamilton was always, was always like a big place for us. We played lots of different shows in Hamilton. I think we did like, we opened for kiss in Hamilton, which was huge for me because like, that's where both sides of my parents' family are from for like, a couple generations and that was a big deal to me oh, cool. and then we also played like fest uh full of friends yeah at gate park and like at that and that when we played at the band shell and like all of these padlocks and like beer bottles were thrown at us during that game so i'll never forget that game. um southern ontario is special oh boy. so and then so also um so so certain places like hamilton but like quebec it was always the biggest, always the biggest fan base. Quebec, always had the okay. biggest shows, like all over Quebec. Um, and it, that was where our record label was based out of. We would go there all the time for, for all types of things. Music Plus had us had us do like live live shows and things on. Um, yeah, the biggest concerts, the absolute biggest concerts were always in Quebec, in Montreal, Quebec City. I remember we played one of my favorite shows was in uh, Cowansville, which is like in I think the Eastern Townships. It was just the most you got epic. Me stumped on that one, yeah, Cowansville. Yeah. I don't know Cowansville. Yeah, it was all. It was always always Quebec. Quebec was always the top, and like even to this day, I would sometimes get like Facebook requests for uh, friend requests, or um, my cousins or somebody would be like, "Oh, I saw this this YouTube clip here," and it's like you know. Canadian singers like doing covers of mistake and stuff. And there's a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of yeah. those. Yeah. It was a very, very Quebec, very Quebec, um, uh, kind of popularity thing squeezed there. And, and I loved it cause we, we always loved going to, going to Quebec. So and touring, touring the province. So gotta ask just because the documentary about it just came up and we actually did an episode all about it. I gotta ask you about Woodstock 99. How'd you secure that gig? What was what was that all about? Um, I can't remember what the behind the scenes industry related stuff was, but like um, this, I think this might have been around the time when uh, we were seeking a record deal with with uh, Epic in the states. Okay, and um, so I feel like that was kind of a moving in that direction and that I think that was also the only American gig we ever played. Really? Like, we, I don't think we played anywhere else in the States. Oh wow. Which is the strangest only American gig you can ever play. Hey, it's the top of the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess depending on how you look at that Woodstock 99, if it was Fair the enough. top of the mountain. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a pretty insane scenario. Like, organizationally it was kind of a nightmare like when you get there it seemed like there was five miles between every stage it was just dry and hot and everybody i remember everybody telling us that there were like ticks everywhere oh my god you know bottles of water were expensive there's pizza boxes everywhere it was like it was just like it was weird it was crazy 
um, as far as like, you know, I, when I was a kid, like I was a kid, I was like 16. So I'm walking around, we saw tragically hip and, uh, and just, just all these people were doing drugs behind like the, the, it, it was like, it was like a Mad Max scenario it was super oh, dry. Man. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really, <laughs> it wasn't really that fantastic. And like, and like, I think, you know, our managers at the time were sort of concerned and like, you know, watching after us and stuff. And especially when like we would watch, watch the skit show where everything's like on fire and whatever. And oh, wow. it was, it was a bit, it was a bit crazy, but like in the backstage before, um, uh, before anybody had phones and whatever, like it's, it's kind of crazy cause it would totally get documented now, but like in the backstage, you know, Vern Troyer and, uh, the actor from Austin Powers, yeah, he was like, he was like on the shoulders of some, some like super tall guy just walking around, like waving to everybody. <laughs> Dave Navarro was there like puff daddy. And they're just like eating in the tent. And, uh, and we're just like, walking, there were just these random kids walking around talking to everybody. Wow. Like all, all of them were back there. Um, all kind of hiding out just because it was just like sort of mayhem on the outside. I'll never forget. Like Rick Campanelli was like on TV and being like, no, don't do it. Cause people like sliding through what they thought was mud, but it was, yes. all, it was all just like, it was all just like shit. It was, it was, it was all just in front of the porta potty. You know, it was, it was kind of insane. Um, yeah. 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 So I don't, I don't know. It was, uh, we, the show was fun. We played in this hangar. It was like the cold, the coolest place, like, like yeah. temperature wise. Cause it was, it was really hot and dry. And, um, just because of the sheer number of people, I swear there must've been like 10,000 people like in the front, like at any time moving around or something. Wow. It just seemed like there was so many people. And, uh, I think we played a pretty good show and, um, and it was just kind of in and out. It was like really quick, but uh, I, I even back then of, of how of how just sort of weird um, things were unfolding. And by, I think we left. We we were leaving early before like the end of the night, like during the Limp Bizkit set or something. I just kind of feel like we were all of a sudden like, okay, like we're gonna we're gonna get, <laughs> we're gonna get out of here now. You could sense trouble was brewing. Basically. I think I, I probably didn't. I was probably you know just a dumb dumb teenager just being like oh, this, this is awesome but like everybody's just you know i think they were a bit concerned yeah um but yeah only only american gig we played and i think that's a, a fact <laughs> well there it is and but you got those cool like behind the scenes snapshots of Vern troyer and puff daddy and dave navarro and <laughs> no, no no i don't have any like this would have been you know a disposable camera <laughs> I don't have any pictures of that stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. But you saw it. You yeah. I have, it. I have yet, I have yet to see the documentary though, but uh, I want, I want to check it out. So yeah, it, it's cool. It's cool. And, uh, but you know, you got the firsthand experience, which is better than what any documentary could put out there. Um, you mentioned it before playing with kiss and Hamilton. Um, did you get a lot of FaceTime with Paul and Gene and the rest of the guys, or were they kind of big rock stars off of their own? No, Gene Simmons came came in and, and chatted with us for like fifteen minutes. He was oh, really he was really nice, and he had no no makeup on or anything. He was just like, um, I didn't recognize who he was because he had like he had like this big kind of dark jacket on and like a baseball hat, and his like you know his big hair was kind of you know under the baseball hat, so it was sort of 
covering his face a bit. So at first yeah. I didn't really know. And, but then, yeah, he took, he took time to chat with us and stuff. So, so that was, that was pretty cool. That was really cool. And, um, and yeah, I live in Edmonton now, but the, but we played at what was where the Oilers played at the Rexall center. We played, that was one of my first times. No, I think we must've, we must've toured there for edge fest, but anyways, we played at that stadium. And, um, when we were there, I think that's where we got, uh, one of the much music awards. Okay. With kids in the basement. Yeah. One of the most musical awards that we got, maybe it was for a mistake or one of the other ones, but it was with the Kiss guys in their makeup and whatever. But, um, but yeah, yeah. So, so we did did a few string of shows with them and, um, which was just really weird because it was like, you know, we were, we were not the demographic. (laughs) (laughs) I have heard that before from some people who've opened for Kiss and that audience can be a little, a little tough to win over if you're not kiss. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Any, any tricks to try Like, did you guys try anything different to try to, to win them over? No, man, we were just a bunch yeah. of, bunch of teenagers. We were just like, uh, like, you know, it was, it was a bit nerve wracking because you have all like, like these biker dudes essentially in the audience and, and their girlfriends and stuff. And, you know, it was a hard, it was a hard, hard audience to impress, but like, I feel like we, we, we did we did okay. <laughs> Great. No, it's good. That's good. Well, I guess my favorite album, my favorite serial Joe album's coming up, and that would be the self-titled dot dot dot, as some people call it. And uh the remixes on that album sounds so cool. Were you guys looking to try to maybe move towards something a little bit more industrial or a little more electronic with uh with your sound? I think that was always something that you know we were we were interested in as far as like the music. Um, I know for sure um, Ryan, Ryan went that direction after the yeah. group. And I think he, he made a lot of, a lot of like collaborations and records um, in electronic music and stuff. Um, but uh, Byron, Byron Wong, who did, who did some of the, the remixes. I don't know if he, I can't remember if he did all of them, but there was, it just seemed like there was a, a push to sort of do more remixes. Um, these days it's like super common all the time yeah. to have like remixes. It was, I think if, if I can remember how I felt about it, I felt like it was a bit, a bit strange because it was like, Oh, okay. But like, you know, I didn't really understand what they were for, but I think it was, it was obviously to reach different radio stations and, and markets and whatever. But um, that was really yeah, I, I had like zero input in any of that. We didn't, we didn't have input in that. It was sort of like given to curated and given to these different DJs and producers. And, um, and yeah. So. Did you like the results or were you just kind of like, you know what, they're taking a good thing and they're screwing it up? No, I think, it, no, no, I think it was, it was cool. Uh, that record was just really weird because it was like, we were sort of, it is exactly what it looks like. We were like in between things. Like we had, it was like a, it was like an EP that turned into a full length because yeah. of all this. So it was a bit weird. Like it's, it was a weird record how, how it was organized. Um, so, so that was the only thing. It just kind of seemed like it was an unfinished, an unfinished uh, product in some ways. Like it wasn't a full length. We had the full length record and then we followed up with that. So, um, 
Yeah, not, not, I guess that's my only sense from it. It was just seemed yeah. like, like it was a funny in-between record. Well, we'll go to your next full length then, uh, Last Chance at the Romance Dance. And you, you guys, are you smiling a little bit more? You're a little bit more happy here? Was uh, was that just growing up to get to, for that more accessible sound? Or was it just kind of cha- taste uh, change of taste? I think it was a lot of change of taste. Um, yeah, the angry, angry new metal stuff was was for me getting less and less appealing every year. And, um, and yeah, it was just sort of, it's, I feel like it was more along, along the, the mistake trajectory, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I feel like it was a sense of taste. It was, um, also working with the, the, the particular producers for that record. We did it in, uh, St. Catharines and we had it, uh, and we did it at a at a studio there where it was we kind of had full rain over the studio. It was a lot less. It was a lot less. Um, it wasn't like going to Metalworks. It wasn't this large facility. It, it just seemed like it was a bit more. Um, it was like a smaller type of production facility or something. Anyway, it just felt homier. It felt like more comfortable. And, you know we had a massive space to work in. So, so it was, it was really fun making that record. And it just seemed like, I don't know, stuff was, stuff was slicker. It was more polished. It was actually produced again, like sort of like in comparison to face down where I feel like we did exactly what we were doing in our garage, but recorded it um, as kids. Like this one was, was actually arranged. I was actually, direction about like what I should do on the drums yeah and um you know fill placements all this stuff I became like after that record I became really really interested in doing um just like session musicianship that's sort of like where I've went since and um and like recording uh in a efficient way like quickly like working with songwriters and stuff I feel like that was my my first step into that so so yeah, it was a change in taste, but also a lot more in direction. But but I really liked that because it was it was hard for me at first to to think about the song in a different way, in a more in a more professional way, to be honest. To think of it like transitions and and um, setups and all these things. So yeah, cool. So when Serial Joe came to an end, was the plan to go to school, or was it the plan to hey let's jump back in with another group of guys and do another album? How 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 did you see your career after that? It was just sort of, it was a weird uh, time capsule in our life because we were, you know, we started when we were kids and when we ended, it was like, you know, literally and figuratively like, well, not adulthood, like, you know, we were 18 or 19. Um, but like, you know, now, now you go to university and like, or, or something like I think I feel like that's what happened for most of us. Yeah. And it was... Yeah, it was just sort of odd as far as that thinking back, but it, but maybe it was you know also a sense of burnout. Like we were touring and traveling a lot, and so when the band you know officially sort of dissolved and 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 we were over, it was just kind of the unfortunate thing was just kind of like we all went our separate ways and moved on and went to school or got you know got jobs, um, and so it was almost like yeah like you were, you know, your teenage years are like, are like done. So now you're just doing these other things. 
so that was that was sort of the unfortunate thing uh, from a creative standpoint. Like I was, <clears throat> I wasn't working with with any of them in, um, since. Like we haven't done anything since. Um, and honestly, too, because I was going, I went more like education and academic route and stuff. And um, and I've played with with a bunch of other people since. Um, didn't really join many bands after that. So I kind of went more like, um, you know, independent session musician thing. So I can sort of control, control my own career in some sort of way. Um, so, so yeah, but we like, you know, didn't really see much of each other either, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the story of high school. Like you would have high school friends sometimes and like, you just sort of lose touch and, you know, or like you don't play sports with each other anymore. Yeah, I was in, I was in stage band in high school. Like we would we would do we would do all that stuff, and like sometimes that would end, and then you wouldn't see those people as much. So so it was one of those weird youth transition things, and that's kind of what happened to the to the band too. Oh well, well there is I'll tell you, there's an ocean of love for Serial Joe to this day. <laughs> um, we you know we don't have a huge listenership yet. We're just starting out, but by far the biggest ask we've had was for Serial Joe. So I want you to know that people are still loving you guys to this day. Um, what do your kids think about dad as a rock star? Oh, they don't care. Oh, they don't care. Really? No, 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 okay. no, no, it's, no I'm I, like, I, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really, it's really awesome. They don't, it's, it's, not, it's not a, it's not a thing at all. And, and so because like they're finding a lot of this, the posts I'm doing is because they're, you know, I don't know if they're trying to find candy in the house or something. But like, <laughs> like my folks have all of my toys that I had growing. Oh, I have everything. Nice. So like yeah. all the old, you know, all my old comic books, they have all the old action figures and they're just, just kind of everywhere. So, so they would find these things and ask me about it. And when, when my one son found the gold record, it was like literally under the bed that I'm sitting beside here. This is where they're staying, sleeping while we're visiting. And he's like, what's this? I'm like, oh, this is a gold record. This means this is like, oh yeah. Can I, can you like, can we take it out and put it, you know, put it in the CD? I'm like, no, no, no. Like that's not what we're like, you know, I'm sure. And then a copy of the CD and then he's already like walking out the door. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> are they, uh, are they musically inclined? Are they following your footsteps in any way there? Yeah. Yeah. We have, um, we have my, my one son, uh, who's turning nine. He's been playing violin for, for about three years now three, four years. And, um, my middle son, uh, who's turning seven, he's playing piano. They're both taking lessons with the same instructor, Atelka. You're awesome. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's, that, that's in Edmonton. And even during all the COVID lockdowns and stuff, we were doing it online. So, um, and my, and my daughter, she's, she's two, but she seems like she's the most drummer, drummer interested okay so we're so i'm trying to cultivate that a little bit but all of them can all of them can play can play drums in some sort of way i think all kids are super interested in music so it's not it's not a a surprise to me that they want that they are are trying trying it out we we want them to I, i like i like having the the way that um their teacher atelica does the piano and violin lessons it's like this a different type of method and and it's like really conducive to kids so i really like that so as long as they if they have if they have uh an interest in it i'll i'll, I'll encourage it but they all they all can play drums a little bit 
Nice. Yeah. Well, my uh, my wife's about a month away from giving birth to our first, and uh, we've already right. got it. We've already got it a drum kit. So awesome. Yeah. My friend Brent hooked that up. So it's sitting there in the living room and I've been playing it and I've been loving it. So <laughs> it's the easiest, it's the best instrument to just jump into. I love the drums. So yeah. Um, how have you been keeping busy these days? Well, um, during the past, over the past year and a bit, it was a lot of remote recording hmm. and also just like some uh, recording projects uh, I did a fun record with um, the songwriter in Calgary named uh, T Buckley where we were, we did the record at the national music center. And so because it was completely, you know, empty due to COVID, it seemed like we had this enormous museum to ourselves and we recorded using a lot of the vintage gear and stuff they have there. So that was really cool. Um, and that was also prim- primarily all live off the floor. So, and that's, that's essentially a lot of the, a lot of the stuff I do now. Um, I work with uh, a Persian Santur player named Farhad Kosravi and and we do a duo and the record we did as a duo won um, an Edmonton music award. And uh, he's a killer composer, contemporary kind of Persian classical music. And we have a bunch of shows when, when I get back because, you know, Alberta's Alberta, so we have <laughs> Alberta's Alberta for for better or worse. There's, there's, I have a ton of gigs when I return back to Alberta, and that includes some really fun ones with Farhad and with a bunch of different jazz musicians for the Jazz Fest. <clears throat> so, yeah. So in addition, so all of that, that I uh, I went the scholarly route. I finished uh, my doctorate in in music, and uh, I'm a postdoc through McGill University. And I also project manage on a bunch of, uh, for a project that's about anti-racist music education, essentially. Cool. So, um, so yeah, always loved education. Obviously my, my biggest love is popular music education. That's been something I've been working on for many years and, um, as a researcher and teacher and stuff. So, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a lot of ways, a lot of the same a lot of the same things I've done, but just in a different kind of venue, like since playing music with this band, um, I've always been very interested in, uh, in pop music history and scholarship and teaching. So that's, so that's very much where I kind of went with it. And, um, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I know you got a busy day, so be- but before we wrap it up, um, Canadian music podcast, is there a Canadian band out there that we should be listening to? What's your, what's your pick for that? Oh man. Well, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to, you know, mention. Okay. 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 Hold on. Okay. This always, this always, this always screws me up. <laughs> um, made a record with my, my buddy Spencer Murray, who, uh, he, he, he's a pipe player. He, he, uh, a bagpipe player originally from Winnipeg. I think I met him in Alberta He's, he's been in the call, the come from away theatrical production. Okay, in yeah, sure. Um, so he plays like, I don't know, a hundred different whistles and instruments for that production and he, and he acts in it. Um, a wicked record with a whole bunch of like Canadian folk music, uh, like fantastic players. I love that record. Nice. We, just did, we just did that um, a few weeks ago. So that's going to be coming out soon. Spencer Murray, Pipeslinger. Um, Dana Wiley, 
uh, is an unbelievable singer-songwriter in Edmonton, um, who I've been working with for, for many, many years. And, she, and we have a record coming out. Um, I think it actually, no, never mind. It did come out. Um, oh, yeah, I'd recommend Farhad Khosravi, uh, T. Buckley's record coming out in a little bit. I'm just, I'm essentially just plugging it. <laughs> um, Alberta is filled with unbelievable talent. The uh, Choa, um, the trombonist in, in Edmonton, um, amazing composer, musician. Aretha Tillotson, who's a bassist in, in Edmonton um, and uh, went to Berkeley for, for, for a master's program recently and just like an absolute monster musician. Cool. Um, yeah, I can go on and on, but yeah. like, but like, but like, yeah, I've since moving to Alberta, I don't think I've, I've worked in as many projects ever. Like Alberta has been very good to me as far as, as far as music. So well, that's great to hear. And uh, it's great to hear that you're doing so well. And uh, congratulations on the family and what you've been doing with your career. It's awesome. And uh, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it, Daniel. Thank you very much. A tremendous thank you once again to Daniel for agreeing to do that. Oh, man, that was fun. I was filled with so much nervous excitement when we did it. And he's so cool and so chill. Yeah, I was able to try to grasp onto some of his energy to try to bring me down a little bit. But uh, yeah, I was I was nervous. That's the thing, you know. Even after all this time in radio, whenever I get to interview someone who I perceive to be a big celebrity, like I perceive to be him to be a big celebrity in my eyes, yeah, I get uh, I get nervous. But a big thank you to Daniel for uh, doing that for us. Really, it appreciate was it. it was interesting how he phrased the. Um because it literally their their window in time was four years it was literally yeah. high school and then they just like never had that itch to you know do a reunion anything like that it was just like we it, it's like how you sometimes despite our circle of friends who talk pretty constantly who've grown up together most people do shed their high school friends or shed their yeah. grade school or college friends after a while you just kind of lose touch and it's it was an interesting kind of parallel like just like everyone just because they're yeah. in a band doesn't mean they're tied together forever well exactly and the way he, he compared the band to high school he was like that part of my life is over yeah and you move on so more power I mean, he's doing great stuff right now with his career and with his family and everything like that so well yeah he's doing very well for himself it's it's interesting how people who are artsy no matter where you live if you if you're interested enough um you'll find a scene yeah. And like most people don't associate Edmonton with this big mecca of music and arts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like even when I went to the University of Windsor, this guy worked for at the campus radio station, Murad. He just kind of embedded himself into this Windsor local scene downtown, always taking photos, interviewing bands. He developed all these contacts and uh, made it his thing. Well, you know, you're talking about Edmonton, but let's talk about uh, Serial Joe's other home, Newmarket. I lived in Southern Ontario most of my entire life. Uh, I don't know if I've ever been to Newmarket. Have you? Maybe passing through. But like that's the thing with those Toronto suburbs. Unless you have a reason to specifically go there, it's, you know, most people don't really go. Unless you're passing that- through or you you have business there so it's interesting it's just kind of like you're right a sleepy suburb uh it's a really nice area 
Um, but a lot of bands have come from there. You mentioned on uh, Instagram. Yeah, uh, the Elwins are from like Keswick, which is like literally a smaller suburb outside of Newmarket. Uh, the Elwins, and there's someone else I can't remember. Oh, was it Tokyo Police Club? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tokyo Police Club, and there I think there was another band, but they were all after Serial Joe. Serial Joes were the OG to put Newmarket yeah, on the map. Kind of the mayors of the Newmarket music yeah. scene. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about uh, the Kick TP. Uh, I thought this one was a lot of fun. Yeah. I had a good time with this album. Uh, not a big fan of the two slow tunes on there, Dream Girl and Lonely Heart, but. Uh, I liked uh, the rap metal tunes, Skid Row and Obsession. They still put a smile on my face after all these years. I gotta grind, gotta roll. I won the lot, you can't control. Obsession. Um, yeah, I like Skid Row just because it was it was what it was. It was the 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 song that launched a thousand shows, right? Um, I really liked. Velocity, Lonely Heart, and Obsession, to be honest. I thought those three just... I mean, it's yeah. not a long EP, but I really like those three together as they uh, wound down the album. I didn't I didn't really think that they needed that Welcome to Happy Land. It's already such a short EP. Oh, are you talking about the instrumental? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're, if, if you're going to only have, like, six or seven songs, you should really try to pack something in each one, not just a random instrumental, but... Well, Face Down had an instrumental on it. Yeah, but that that was a full-length album. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Where where is your opinion on, like, rock and roll instrumentals? Do you think that to include one on an album, it's really got to go above and beyond the Call of Duty? Uh, Like, what what are your thoughts on those? Because there's a few bands that you'll just get a random instrumental from. I mean, I think if it adds something and it's uh, if it's maybe something a little bit different, it's like, hey, we're we're a prog rock band, but here's like a little a little Spanish ditty that's instrumental. We just wanted to add this weird itch to scratch, like you know, it's it'd be good yeah. something neat. But okay. if you're literally just gonna do some like thrash metal, just instrumental for people to what dance to, and just you know what I mean, it just it doesn't offer much much different. In their catalog, but well, Skid Row, the video for that did very well. It got uh, the boys a uh, Much Music Video Award for Best Independent Video. Although the Obsession one's the one that I liked because that was the first one I saw. And they're fighting ninjas, and it's funny. They're up to getting into trouble. I don't know. That was my favorite one. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't find that one on YouTube. Oh, for Obsession? Yeah. Another lost relic of Serial Joe. Oh. Anyway, uh, we'll flash forward a little bit here to the 1999 album, Face Down. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? Um, it was good. It's it's hard for me to, like, and it's nothing against them. It's just I've been so removed from new metal that it's, like, it's hard to be, I don't know, I guess fair is the right word just because, like, everyone's taken such a sour turn with new metal in the in the years since like partially because of woodstock partially because of just you know music sophistication like when the indie scene took over and bands like the arcade fire and everything it's just it wasn't that long after these like limp biscuits and stuff so musically everyone was looking down at new metal but um it just it's it's not my hasn't been my scene for like 17 
No, more than that. Like 20 years. But when it was your scene, it was your scene, man. I remember you yeah. buying Hit Parader magazine. And, of course, we talked to earlier in the show's history. You went to go see Corn and Rob Zombie. Yeah. Like, you're a new metal guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was big. I, I liked it, too. You know, like about I, I think I mentioned during the uh, Woodstock 99 podcast. I, was, I really liked uh, Incubus a lot and Papa Roach. Yeah. Uh, I'd become very into Linkin Park. And I got into Lip Biscuit before everyone else did. So. What do you want, a banana? I kind of like a little, uh, <laughs> little appreciation. So it's new metal. Basically, you're a metal band and you started in like 98, 99 and you ended like 2002. Pretty that much. Kind of the new metal bubble. I mean, or like, yeah, you start. You basically started in that window. Okay. All right. Well, I I, I thought Face Down was pretty good. Um, yeah. It, it it didn't have uh, what's called uh, the the raw fun that Kicked had, um, but they were improving. Uh, as lyricists and on the, uh, the 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 instrumentation was really cool. Uh, some of the uh, favorite deep cuts on this album because I always like to push those out. I like the song Push. Because I have yeah. a little bit of a little bit of a tool influence to it. Yeah. Um, sanity and confused. Um, I think my biggest issue with the album was that despite all the tracks uh, being upbeat and they weren't at all boring, they did run into a little bit of a rep- repetitivity in there as well. Oops. If that makes sense, repetitivity. Oh, yeah. No, no, yeah, that, the, and that's <laughs> and that's the problem with that style of sound. It's just like it lends itself to either you get experimental and you try some different things, or it's literally you fall into the the Pennywise trap where it's the same yeah. song like 12, 12 times. You know what I mean? You heard one album, you heard them all. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. I should say another one of my favorite songs of the album was Deep, which I did bring up with Daniel when I talked to him. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was the better of the two singles. I think Deep is really good. Yeah. And I didn't mention to him how I really feel like Deep played into the band's strengths a lot. Like, it was all those cool elements of new metal that were in there that I liked. And I think Ryan Dennis's biggest um, strength as lead singer was his flow. Yeah. Uh, he could rap. Yeah. Like, you can't teach flow when you're rapping. No. And he was, he was good at that. And it's also the confidence to do that because, you know, people look like, look at, I mean, Fred Durst, you can take or leave with his rapping abilities. Uh, yeah, he's all, he's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. But when, when you look at some of the other like rap rock outfits out there, like look at Zach Delaroca, you know, he's not yeah. white. <laughs> and like, so for like a nerd, not nerdy, but for like a white suburbanite to try their hand at rap rock at such a young age and to do it 
pretty well is yeah. is commendable um another song i really liked i i just had to double check it while you're talking because i couldn't remember if it was on face down or the dot 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 but it was this the one that closed the album denial i thought okay. it had a really nice pod vibe and i thought it was really good and a good uh, the guy the guitar player rips a nice solo and It was just really strong closer. Yeah, that was one of the things I was really amazed about when Daniel told me that they had basically learned their instruments for the band. They were, yeah. <laughs> they were light years ahead instrument-wise for the bands that we went to high school with. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Face Down would reach number 47 on the Canadian album charts uh, and ultimately achieve gold status. So it did pretty well. People were buying up Face Down, and uh, I know uh, Mistake was a huge hit. I was singing it in my head, uh, in my brain all week when I was listening to this. Uh, My question to you was, uh, think about the video. I forgot that my brother brought this to my attention. Yeah. And I forgot to ask Daniel about it. Video for Mistake, you know, kind of has a gray tinge to it. You know what I mean? Ryan's walking around with this girl. She's got dark hair. And the band's kind of like performing in a warehouse. Then yeah. think about Nickelback's video, which came out like three years later for How You Remind Me. Still dark-haired girl, great tinge, they're performing in a warehouse, supernatural stuff is happening. They kind of ripped off Serial Joe. I mean, we'd have to d- uh, dig a little deeper, see who directed both videos. If it was the same guy, maybe he's got a very... Uh, Univision style, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't actually I didn't clock that because I haven't made a point of watching Nickelback videos lately. Well, I think I also mentioned uh, during the interview that the video for Deep would win them a Much Music Video Fact Award, which was uh, through the grant that allowed them to shoot the videos, and that was presented to them by Gene and Paul of Kiss uh, during the Much Music uh, Video Awards. Uh, my favorite album's coming up next. Serial Joe dot dot dot, which came out in 2000. Six new songs, including the lead single, Silently Screaming. Uh, I'm not going to go with Bop for this one, but I'll tell you, it slaps. <laughs> God, I'm going to slap you. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm, it's, I'll agree. It's a, it's a good song. It's, a. you could see progression with their performing with each passing album. You know, I will say this. I almost wish the mistake that the U S version was slapped on the original, to be perfectly honest. I, like I that was going to ask you about that. I, I think I like it better too. Just a little more polished. Um, it's a little longer. They add that kind of bridge in there. Yeah. Which I, th- I really liked. I thought it was a nice addition to it. Um, 
you know, the, the first one's still good. Not taking anything away from oh, the yeah. first one. But that second one, I, I think you're right. You can see the maturation there. Well, also, it's um, it's almost two different genres. Like, the, uh, the, the one that we're used to is, like, a post-grunge kind of droning kind of Alice in Chains style thing. Whereas this one's kind of, like, it's kind of working to... And it's still heavy, but it's accessible heavy, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Sure, and but you know what? When you have that, like, like he described, that earworm of a chorus, yeah. no matter what version of, the, of it that you're going to do, with that chorus, you're going you're gonna to sell records. You know, I think the... I remember when we saw a mistake when we were young. I remember both of us having a negative reaction to it because, we're like, yeah. first of all, they went from, like, you know, their usual, like street clothes that like you know every teenage kid in the mid to late 90s was wearing like the you know football jerseys the you know the same types of shirts with the stripes and like what ryan was wearing in the skid row video too all of them wearing black and i'm just like they all look like mark taylor when he when he changed it's just it's like they were trying to be wearing like a uniform for what like new metal was supposed to be you know what i mean like all the all the you know goth like skid kids at your high school all wore that it's like they were trying to appease them too much instead of letting them having their own individual style can you uh define skid for me because they talk about skid hey you down on the row skid was a big lie i never used or called anyone a skid what's skid i never is it short for scene kid maybe maybe uh i don't know what it is either it just i know that well in our high school, I remember this specifically, in uh, the our poll, when I won Continuously Crippled and you won Lyrical Laugh, uh, yeah. our friend Brent's friend, our acquaintance, Nathan Smith, and this girl, Renee Kalki, won Super Skid. And I like you remember how Nathan dressed. He kind of like the baggy, heavy clothes. Uh, I don't know. That's like, I think it's people who look like they're metalheads, basically. Okay. I remember... Uh- uh, Campbell went up to Nate and he said, "You want super skin?" <laughs> and he was like, "It's words in a paper, man." <laughs> like he was not into it at all. But then he went and he did the photo for it. So that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did notice that the, the the public opinion, like amongst our peers, with Serial Joe from us rock guys who tried to start a band, uh, was there? Were you ever jealous of them? Being oh, like, you know, 100%. I'm playing guitar. I'd like to get where they're they're at. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so jealousy would be a big thing, especially amongst the guys well, who are trying actually, to. Sorry, not so much jealousy, more just envy that like that they were able to get that, but also they they were trying a different style. Like we would have had to, like we were trying to do, you know, we were trying to do a ska band in a, at a time when. Technically, according to that documentary I watched, the ska <laughs> bubble had already burst. <laughs> no one ever said we were trendsetters. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, well, the thing I noticed about the opinion of Serial Joe, at least amongst, like, guys we went to school with who would listen to The Edge and were into, like, metal and uh, yeah. stuff like that, uh, start off very high having this fun kid band who are beating up ninjas in their videos. And then I think when Mistake came out uh, and a lot of, like, the girls who would listen to pop got into Mistake, 
there was kind of a, uh, you know what I mean? You can't listen to our kind of music. Yeah. And there was some jealousy going on. But I think that that turned the curb uh, once we got to 2000 at Serial Joe dot, dot, dot. Because I know a lot of people like Brent, like a lot of his friends were really digging Serial Joe at that time uh, because of the marked improvement on songs like Silently Screaming or my favorite Serial Joe song, uh, What I See which is on the album, and that is my favorite song by them. I think that song kills. That's really good. Oh, by the way, I wanted to say this. When Daniel mentioned uh, the Hamilton show where shit got thrown at them. Yeah. The Gage Park Festival of Friends. Some friends we've got in Hamilton. Uh, Yeah, my friend Jeff, my my buddy Jeff Waters from Mohawk, he was telling me he was at that show. Oh, really? Yeah, he was like, they they were like, they showed up like an hour late to play and um, they spent 40 minutes like tuning their shit. And then as soon as they're about to start, some guy just got (laughs) whales of coke right at the guitar player's like fretboard and something just blew and the the show was just like shit. Uh, Oh my God. Yeah. Oh jeez, <sighs> this is this is Gage Park for you, man. This <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> is that side of Hamilton that Mark Marin was complaining about on his podcast. Yeah, same with McLovin. <laughs> oh, it's so sketchy. <laughs> so sketchy. I've been to that bar McLovin was complaining about too. Which one was it? Uh, oh god, I went there for karaoke. It's the only bar I know that has a pool table and like karaoke every night. Um, hmm. I went there for a roller derby thing. Shit, my brother would know what it's called. It's not gonna. Come is it like in the same neighborhood of the St. Hollywood, or is it more downtown, or is it more east? Uh no, it's it's hard to describe. So it's like you got um, uh, like uh, Hash, and then you go there's Jackson Square, and then you go like further towards the water. Yeah, but up. Uh, oh, it's called Happy Hours. Happy Hours is the name of the bar. Oh, isn't that the one where our old college buddy Cam? Always, yeah, like, he was the he was the, the the DJ. Yeah, he was the 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 DJ there. Oh, he he, he did a great job because he's a good singer. And he'd show up in the uh, this is when LMFAO first broke out, and he'd wear the uh, the spandex like they did. And <laughs> he had the whole uniform on. He'd sing party rock anthem. Oh yeah, oh he'd kill it. You know, I was thinking about it, and when I rewatched uh, Mistake the other day, yeah. I think another reason I had such a weird adverse reaction to that, and it wasn't even anything about the song, it was. Um, and I know it was a style choice at the time, but you remember in Skid Row where Ryan's hair was just normal, but just kind of like gelled funny and just kind of like sticking <laughs> yeah. out. And then he's got these like pseudo like dread cornrow type things. He just looks like a dink. What? In the video for? For a mistake. mistake? Like the way, the way his like those spikes. Oh, he just had his hair spiked. But I didn't the, realize like, the it was dready. I don't know. The spikes were like very like clumped together to the point. I don't know. I thought he just was, when I was little, I thought he looked like a dink. But uh, I think the, so. There was like some some adolescent spite there. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah. It's it's like one of the reasons why I've always been told when I DJ weddings, <clears throat> don't have any alcohol because of the person. If you're not playing exactly what they want, some asshole in the crowd, it'll go from. The DJ had a beer to the DJ was drinking all night and got <laughs> hammered and wasn't listening to my requests. I've seen that happen before. It's like, put your phone away. Yeah. Because if you look at your phone once and send a message, if they see it, this guy who doesn't like you, oh, he was texting, he was on his phone all night, wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. 
Kids are the worst for that. There's sharks in the water. You know, you do one thing. If you're the public eye and you do one thing that they don't like, ah, it's everything. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, you know, one thing I wish he did ask, and I'm sure it's it's hard to get all those questions in because you only had so much time, so I know he was heading yeah. back home. But yeah. I wish you had gotten to ask, like, how they got Todd McFarlane to do that artwork. Or did, is there any research that came up? That was one of the questions I had on my list that I didn't ask. Um, you know, I, he told me that, you know, getting to play Woodstock and stuff like that was to push uh, the notoriety. And this whole album was only meant to be an EP, and they tacked on all those remixes. Yeah. Which I thought were really cool. Yeah. Um, to make it a full length and have it as a, a bigger release. So that could have just been a, a move from the label to just be like, you know, let's give some more notoriety 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 to it just had my coffee it's got to kick in uh, <laughs> and yeah because and so that they, might have been a move to give, give them a little more headlines to keep them going yeah like they could have even gotten like a write up in you know even wizard or something like that saying like Canadian band you know gets Todd McFarlane to get their album cover done or something you know that could have been some more cross promotional material probably didn't happen and I remember happen, it but. was all over uh, much video news they were talking about it they interviewed Todd McFarlane about it Oh yeah, yeah. That that move did work to get there, keep them in the headlines. Uh, this move though didn't really work. Um, the 2000 VH1 flick Out of Sync, also known as Lip Service, Serial uh, Joe is in the movie. <laughs> and, uh, it's about an aging record producer who convinces a young housewife with a golden voice to provide the singing voice for his untalented but incredibly attractive client. And I guess they play um, a role of uh, one of the bands that this record producer is managing. Okay. Uh, I never saw the movie. Much didn't really promote it all that much. But, uh, yeah, they're in a movie. Just like Trouble Charger was in one of these <laughs> crappy say. VH1 movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then also outside of the realm of uh, nominations, I think Serial Joe is the first band I could think of that was nominated for a Gemini Award uh, for Best Specialty Series. Um, they did a little thing for YTV back then. Uh, unrelated to System Crash, which I didn't ask Daniel oh. about. Do you have any memories of the high school sketch show System Crash no. that uh, Serial Joe was the garage band on? I've Not got one. even a little bit. I've got one. Um, back when I was trying to get my career off the ground as a, uh, as a DJ, um, uh, I was the intern and, uh, when I did a 20 Chan, the morning show, uh, Jason Farr was the big guy there and he asked me to come with him cause he had to MC this gig. I think he brought me with me cause I think he wanted to sneak out early. So <laughs> he knew I could t take care of him if there's any other announcements. So I go and I helped him out. And he let me, uh, they had like baseball tickets they had to auctioneer off. So I got to be the guest auctioneer for those baseball tickets. And uh, it was a good little experience. Yeah. So they asked him to come back and do it the next year. And he couldn't do it. But he like kind of put me up for it. He was like, but Ted Jessup who was with me last year. He'd, he'd be glad to do it. Just try to get me another gig, right? Yeah. So they brought me in. But I think they were a little bit like, ah, this guy, he's not on the air yet. He's just kind of some kid right let's uh yeah, let's bring in some extra help so they brought in this guy named adam oldfield uh to be the auctioneer so i got to MC it and he'd auctioneer it so we'd share it and he's a super nice guy and he was on system crash oh yeah in fact there is a tribute on youtube to his best sketches 
And uh, I remember at the time, I guess he had gotten out of entertainment and stuff like that. So, well, he was giving me like a lot of good advice. It was really nice and everything. Kind of looks like Steve Page from Bare Naked Ladies. Yeah. Uh, he was like, you know, if I ever get back into radio, I might just buy a radio station. Like he was doing like big business. <laughs> it was a little bit of a hot shot. Trying to big and, time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was a nice guy and uh, uh, yeah, really cool dude. So, <sighs> there you go. There's my system crash memory. Okay, so nothing about the actual show. Just about this There's random encounter with the guy yeah. that used to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, he was a good dude. Um, Serial Joe would also earn their only Juno nomination that year for Best New Band. Uh, here's who they were up against: Prozac, Len, and Gob. Which but, which albums by Prozac and Gob? Well, for Prozac, I'm assuming it's uh, the first one. Well, if uh, it was hot show. No, no. If it was Gob, two, if it was 2000, when no, that... you gotta remember they do it the year after. So these would have been '99 mm-hmm. releases. So this actually okay. would have been for Face Down, and not for uh, Serial Joe Dot Dot Dot. Okay. Because that's how the Junos are weird. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think it'd be Hot Show. Leonard would be uh, their, their only album. Can't stop the bun ru- bun rush. Gob. I think it'd be How Far Shallow Takes You. Yeah. Yeah. But they'd all lose to the pop juggernaut that was Sky. Oh, yeah. Sky, Piece of Paradise, won Best New Artist that year. Uh, my brother, by the way, really wants us to do an episode on Sky. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe in the future there's a, a Sky episode. I think it's only two albums. So if I'm having a really, really busy week, maybe we'll throw it a Sky. Yeah. <laughs> So, their popularity is probably as big as it's ever been. Um, And that kind of our group, the kind of like, we are the gatekeepers of rock and roll. We decide who's rock and roll, the most judgmental people in the world. (laughs) We're now opening up to Serial Joe and seeing, you know, okay, these guys can do it. Ryan can rap. They are good on their instruments. This is a good band. And then... uh, they took a big change in tone with Last Chance at the Romance Dance, which would ultimately be their last album. Uh, I vividly remember Drama Class, uh, and I think it would have been grade 10. And uh, Adam Pontefract, he's a big alternative rock guy, loves the pumpkins, loves a lot of metal. He came in and he was just really like, he looked like he'd seen a ghost. And I was like, what? And he's like, Serial Joe sold out? I'm like, what? Serial Joe sold out? <laughs> It's like, did you see the new video? They're smiling, they're playing the dance, the word plaid. <laughs> and after speaking with Ryan, we know what that's about. They just kind of wanted to stop the new metal. Yeah. They were kind of done with it. They'd done everything they wanted to do. They were probably listening to more pop punk and stuff at the time. You heard them say they were big into Weezer. And yeah. they just wanted to go that route. And there needs to be a freedom for an artist to do what they want to do without the judgment of their fans. But we were dumb idiot kids. What do we know? Well, not only that, like when you texted me, you had some uh, less than favorable things to say about it. And well, so my expectations were low. But when I when I listened to it, I was driving around. I'm like, you know, these are serviceable songs like musically. They, you know, they're still getting stronger at their instruments. And the only thing I would have said about this album, and this is going on what uh, that one video I watched about Serial Joe, like the what happened to that. Yeah. Uh, the What was the video channel? Surge? Uh, the guys that... No. Uh, the, 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 either way. Not it's, sh- Schmo... 
Staunch. 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 Yeah. Uh, Staunch. He said, and assuming he did his research, that a lot of the songs weren't written by them. They were getting like outside counsel. That's not what Daniel told me. Okay. So, well, that's either way. So, if, assuming he's right, uh, I guess Daniel will know more than this idiot. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but I don't know. The, the songs... Leading up to it, the dot 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 and the face down, you can actually feel the teen anguish and you know the the bleh, life's ending and then even though it's like a girl won't go out with me, you know what I mean? You can actually it's it's like it's for us by us. This one just felt okay. like I don't know. This one felt like it almost was written by outsiders. It didn't have that kind of like a um teenage thing about it. Well, I, I, I see what you mean. That the, the switchover was very jarring. Yeah. Because it's a total makeover. Yeah. Um, and it's done kind of without notice. It's kind of like you're asleep and someone pulls the covers off you. Yeah. Uh, I think my issue with the album was more, I like Ryan's rapping. I think yeah. he's a good rapper. I think he's got the flow. His melodic singing, I'm not such a big fan of. I think, so I think that's where he kind of lost it for me. However, I need to throw in there, and this was a song that uh, Dan Daniel got a writing credit on, was the song Mary. I very much liked Mary. Uh, that had a nice big chorus to it. That was a good song. Mary drinks and Mary thinks and Soon she'll down break down and cry. Yeah, that was really good. Um, yeah, there, there's... A few songs there that I enjoyed. Like, like, they were all very catchy. Like, almost too catchy for their own good, I think, some of them. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I think if Serial Joe had stuck it out for at least another two albums with the kind of, you know, new metal going away, um, indie rock, things changing in, the, like, the later 2000s, I could almost see them going the way of, like, a Jimmy Eat World-style band's. Where okay. it's, uh, like they can still have like a pop bunk sound, but like kind of, you know, uh, really personal lyrics and things like that. But yeah. who knows? we'll never know now, but <laughs> yeah, the album did, uh, the label did drop them. And like uh, Ryan said, it was just kind of like high school's over. Let's go our separate ways. You mean Daniel? Uh, the two, what did I say? Ryan Daniel. <laughs> there we go. I was about to get on to my next point, And again, I apologize, Daniel. I'm tired. Uh, the two Ryans. I was talking, going to talk about them. Ryan Stever and Ryan Dennis, they uh, form a band called High Capital, which actually did pl- sound a lot more like the Face Down era Serial Joe. So they definitely went back to their uh, hard rock roots. So then when that project ended, uh, Ryan ma- started making electronica music under the name DJ Platypus. And now he does it under his own name. Uh, the last time Serial Joe received uh, mainstream attention was in 2017 uh, when the CBC's This Hour Has 22 Minutes parodied rumors that Drake and Justin Bieber would boycott the Grammys that year over a lack of representation. Uh, basically, they mentioned that Serial Joe was also considering doing this, uh, and they went as far as reading a fake statement from Ryan Dennis's MySpace account. This is 2017 <laughs> when nobody had MySpace anymore. Yeah. So... <laughs> At least this hour is 22 minutes is keeping the name out there. And I told Daniel, you know, this was the most requested episode that we had of Canada FM. 
Um, people have not forgotten about Serial Joe. That uh, devotion of the fan base is still there. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think, I mean, clearly Daniel's busy with a thousand and one projects, plus he has, what, two or three kids? Three. Yeah. And like we don't know what the others are doing, but I think if they ever felt the need to even just do like a reunion show, not even like make new material, just do like one off reunion gig just for fun as part of something, you know, like even like a festival that so they didn't have to carry it. I think people would give them a warm reception back, to be perfectly oh, big honest. Time. Big time. Like if they, they would definitely get a warm reception. If they did like a twenty fifth or thirtieth anniversary, I don't know what we're at with Edge Fest. What year did the first Edge Fest come out? God, late eighties actually. Oh really? Never mind. Remember, like it, was just a, it was just well, it used to be just like a big Canada Day concert. Right. Um, believe at Molson Amphitheater or something like that. Okay. And then in the mid nineties, mid to late nineties, it became a touring show. Oh, okay. I mean, well, yeah, so, depending on where you free, whatever thirty fifth, fortieth anniversary of Edge yeah. Fest or whatever, if uh, if they did something like that and reunited, I think the fans would go ape shit. Well, time will tell. Yeah. Time will tell. But again, a big thank you to Daniel Stadnicki for joining us and giving us all the insight into the history of Serial Joe that we were looking for. That was really, really cool. Um, I, I Next week, I'm not going to do an interview. It's just going to be you and me because I don't feel like uh, calling up uh, Josh Ramsey or any of the boys from Mariana's Trench. We're going to do Mariana's Trench next week. Uh, kind of a cool story there. They start off doing pop punk. Then they went into straight up pop. And the lead singer, Josh Ramsey, wrote maybe the biggest pop song in the last 20 years to come from Canada. Yeah. So we'll tell you what song that is, along with all kinds of other fun Marianas Trench trivia uh, on next week's episode. Hold on a sec, Ted. Before we go, we, oh, never, okay. we never did our, like, why do we think Serial Joe never crossed the border? Oh, well, I thought Daniel kind of answered that question. Um. Uh, but like I know they I never played the, except for Woodstock. They never played much in the states. Yeah. But it was I wasn't sure if it was like the label not pushing for them because their sounds, you know, would have fit right in where they could have played on a Family Values tour or open for any one of those bands in the states and probably have been received pretty well. Um, I think it's because of their age. They were in high school. That's true. They had aspirations beyond Serial Joe. Yeah. You know, this is a fun thing, but they, you know, they were also in high school. Yeah. They had other obligations than hitting the road and pounding the pavement for touring and stuff like that. You know, they did it. They yeah. had a great time doing it, but they were also in high school. I think Dan yeah, mentioned the same time he was in Serial Joe, he was playing drums in concert band. Yeah. You they know, could, they like... probably only did like weekend gigs and then like on the March yeah. break, they'd probably stretch a few gigs together. That's probably when they would go to Quebec or something or reading yeah. week or uh, summer vacation. That's probably when they do the yeah, bulk I mean, of the tour. They probably take, take some time off of school as well just to do it and stuff like that. But that uh, that's not easy. Yeah. So I think that that's really what why they didn't make it bigger in the States because I know they would have fit in. Yeah. Mistake has the modern rock and mainstream rock charts written all over it. That would have been a huge hit down there. Um, but it's just, you know, you, you enter a place in your life sometimes where the, the, the timing doesn't really work out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And being in high school and getting all this fame, that can be tough. Especially, uh, imagine like the the loopholes. Imagine if Mistake did pick up somewhere at like a Buffalo station or then it kind of trickled down that way. Um mm. And then they were asked to play all these 
you know, border towns, Buffalo, like whatever, Niagara Falls, maybe Syracuse a couple hours in. Yeah. The, the amount of legal loopholes their management would have to do to get them in the place because it probably would have been 21 and over and all these things. Oh, exactly. And, exactly. you got to remember, they had just gotten their driver's license at this time. <laughs> you know? It's, it's, it's not an easy uh, situation to navigate. Yeah. What they had, though, was great success up here. Legions of fans that still love them. Yeah. Um, that's success. Yeah. You know? They're going to go in there. You can't write the story of 90s uh, alternative rock in Canada without mentioning Serial Joe. That's true. So they did very well for themselves. And, uh, you know, I, 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 there's nothing to be ashamed of. That's, that's one of the things that we're trying to bring to light in this podcast. Yeah. It's just because you didn't make it in the States. Who cares? Yeah, that doesn't you mean you're I mean? a failure at all. Like, yeah, and I want to... The goal is to get Americans and Europeans to listen to this podcast so they can see all these... And hear all these bands that we've been hoarding. Yeah. Yeah, so... Although I do think it's funny... <laughs> there you go. Um, when you were talking to Daniel, how he's literally... The bed that his children were sleeping on and his parents, like, the gold record is just sitting underneath. <laughs> it's like he doesn't give a shit. It's like uh, if you watch the Pearl Jam 20 documentary... Uh, yeah. Stone Gossard, they the the Cameron Crow was doing an interview in his house, and he's like, "Do you keep much Pearl Jam memorabilia?" He's like, "No." Jeff Amet, the bass player, always keeps all that shit. He's like, "I think I have one Grammy," and he goes down to the basement in the back corner of his house, covered in dust, <laughs> is his Grammy. He's like, "Oh, there it is." <laughs> there you go. You know, it's uh, yeah, like Nathan Smith said. It's words written on a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, just some, there, it's your name etched in gold. Yeah, it's so, just some name on a, a statue, different. man. <laughs> what does it mean? Actually, it's funny. Uh, they cut in the documentary, they cut to a clip of Eddie Vedder like scratching his head. He's like, I don't know what this means. What does this mean? <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you though, I had a lot of fun this week. A lot of uh, nervous uh, excitement, but uh, a lot of fun. Well, you and, haven't uh, uh, interviewed someone like that in a in a musical a capacity in a in a hot minute. It had been a, it had been a while. I think the last time I interviewed someone, um, there was a, like a week in Perry Sound where I was interviewing a different rock star every week. That was when I interviewed Duncan Coates and the guy from Limblifter. I interviewed him. Um, oh God, I forget the name of the girl, but she was awesome. I have to ask Zane who, who she was. But uh, I interviewed a whole bunch of people in one week, so I was getting good at interviewing rock stars. And then, yeah. Uh, a six-year gap. <laughs> but uh, that was fun, and I miss doing that. So we'll see. We'll see. If, if the episode calls for an interview, I'll reach out and uh, try to get an interview. But yeah. again, this episode wouldn't have been positive. It would have been a really crappy episode if it wasn't for Daniel, uh, just because of the lack of accessibility to their history. So again, a huge, huge thanks to him. Yeah. All right. What say you, Brian? Huh? What say you, I said? What do you mean? We thought we were going to wrap up the show. We already talked about next week. Oh, yeah. I guess we got the social media plugs. Go ahead. Yeah. CanFM, uh, Instagram, CanF1 on Twitter. When was the last time you tweeted? Are you not, when you're posting to Instagram, posting stuff to Twitter as well? I specifically texted you once. You handle the Twitter. I'll handle the Instagram. Right, because you can post them simultaneously. You know that, right? Yes, but sometimes mine doesn't let me. I don't know why, but... All right, if it doesn't let you, let me know and I'll do it. I know the last time I posted to uh, Twitter was when Bismarcky died. 
Oh, you pee. Okay. Because um, <laughs> I thought that all those posts were going up and there just hasn't been anything new for me to talk about. I'll get back on it. I'll get back on it. I, I've been slacking. Uh, go to the, the Apple podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, share, get the word out. All that shit. I don't know. I'm tired too. More enthused, why don't you? I'm tired too. Okay. <laughs> but All it's right. just also like I feel. I always feel weird about doing that. Like uh, whenever I hear listen to other people's podcasts and they spend like the first five minutes or the last five minutes, I'm like skip, 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 skip. At least, <laughs> See, at least we we're not bludging over it for our listeners. Uh, our listeners' uh, benefit, so they can just turn it off without hearing. Talk <laughs> yeah. About our social just media. This- Hear this friggin' aimless meandering going on as these guys are just flailing about. For people to like us. <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna be the jerk and just be like, eh. it's like that guy who everyone he's a jerk too, but the girls still like him, kind of thing. I'm gonna be oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought that'd be like Negging. a great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna neg you to like us. Well, it was, it's kind of like in Popeye, how Bluto was the guy's name. Uh, Bluto I don't know. was the big bully in Popeye, right? Uh, so they'd be, let's just say his name is Bluto. They'd be out at the beach, Popeye in olive oil, and they'd build a sandcastle. And Bluto would come over and kick it up, kick it down to impress Olive Oil, who's clearly with a guy. Yeah. I always thought it'd be funny if, like, she was impressed by that. And just left Popeye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knocked over that sandcastle. Whoa, what a man. Yeah, I thought I always thought that'd be funny. But <laughs> Popeye's yeah. just sitting here. Oh, what are we gonna do? Hey, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, that's the episode. Uh, again, thank you one more time, Daniel Stadnicki, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And I'm Ted. I'm Brian. We'll see you next week with Marianna's Trench, apparently. That's news to me, but I'm looking forward oh, to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I redid the... Uh... You know what? I'll fill you in on what I got here. I redid the uh, schedule uh, based on... Uh... Hold on. Based on uh, our availability, basically. So we are going to go with Marianna's Trench next week. We're going to follow that up with Halluci Nation, formerly known as Tribe Called Red. Then we are going to have a two-parter on April Wine because uh, I got to do mornings that week, so I got time to listen to some music, and uh, they got 15 albums, April Wine. <laughs> so strap in for that one. Next, it'll be Jack Soul. Then Gob. And at around this time, I'm expecting my baby. So we're either going to take a week off, or I don't know, I guess you could do the show solo and be upsetting for me, but it can happen. <laughs> no, we're gonna finish when the when you base a show on a two two man system, because yeah. you know the whole reason people anyone who gives us positive reviews that's not our close for, uh, stupid high school friends <laughs> or college, um, yeah, is uh, except for Brent. Brent's the only high school friend that gives us positive reviews. Oh yeah, he's, he's yeah, it's true. Um, uh, but no, it's the whole the whole. Thing is our back and forth. What am I going to do? Just play tennis against the wall by myself? Yeah. I don't, so I don't... after Gob, there's going to be a brief hiatus as I learn the ins and outs of being a dad. And then we'll come back strong with the tea party and then a two-parter on swollen members. So that is the plan for the rest of season two, plus a whole bunch of off-topics. You can do it off-topic with Park Hill or my brother or whoever, I guess, while I'm gone. 
or you know we could just bank some episodes so you so it doesn't seem like we're missing time. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. You just gotta, or you could do it with me at like four in the morning because you know I'm gonna be up. Yeah, that's a good idea. Hey, Ted, what'd you think about this song? <laughs> 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 All right, we'll uh, we'll catch y'all next week. All right, catch you on a flippy flip. <laughs> one two one two, mic check one two one two. Yeah.